picked out and replaced with the true value of our work. Like every other worker around the world, we need to go to work to live, not just live to work, close quote. The association said today's protests will be their largest collective action ever. And in weather today in Washington, D.C., it is 39 degrees under cloudy skies. Temperatures are forecast for the mid to high 40s for the rest of the day and mostly clear skies. From WPFW News in Washington and WBAI in New York, I'm Sue Goodwin. afternoon, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, wherever you are tuned in. You are listening to Taking Action here on WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C. My name is Daniel Del Pielago, and as always, it is a pleasure to be here with you on Tuesday afternoons. We've got a great show ahead, and I just need to remind you that we are in our uh, winter pledge drive. We've got a very modest goal of $500 to raise uh, during this hour, I hope you are able to help us. As you know, here on this show, um, we try to bring you the important issues that are taking place here in the in the district. Today, we'll be discussing uh, the current budget, the future budget, but we always like to bring to you the issues that make this city work or oftentimes work the way it shouldn't. But we like to highlight those and especially highlight the people that are doing the good work around this. So if you find value in this type of programming, if you find value in WPMW, the station has been around for 40 plus years and brings you wonderful programming year in and year out, day in and day out, please consider making a donation. Any donation helps. You can do so by calling 202-588-9739. You can also call one 800 222 9739 if you're outside of the area or you can always go to our website which is wpfwfm.org to make your online donation as i mentioned i've got a goal of 500 dollars. hopefully some folks will be out there uh, that are able to help us we thank you in advance as i mentioned this afternoon we're going to be talking about the current budget and what that means for the upcoming uh, budget for the district I am honored to be joined here by Michaela Deming, who is the policy director for the um, excuse me, DC Coalition Against Domestic Violence. I'm also joined by Chibundo Eguatu. She is the policy and systems engagement coordinator. And I've just been joined by Heidi Ellis. Heidi, can you give us your, your title? Sure. I'm um, Heidi Ellis. I'm a local consultant and advocate, but I'm here representing the DC LGBTQ Budget Coalition. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you all for making the time to uh, speak with us today and hopefully give folks a heads up on what's happening with the current year's uh, budget, but also how that sets kind of the stage for the FY25 budget. Um, recently, a Washington City Paper uh, article came out that was um, letting um, you know their readers know that the mayor was planning some cuts to the FY24 budget, uh, some reductions in staff and services to many um, DC agencies, uh, more specifically those 
that provides some safety net services, some very critical safety net services for district residents. Um, that unfortunately is an annual um, reality. It happens every year that potentially uh, there are some cuts to the budget. However, you know, they are affecting, as I mentioned, some of those issues that are very important to many district residents. Um, Michaela, Chibundo, Heidi, any thoughts on, you know, um, what's going on and, and you know, or a reaction to hearing these issues? Because um, I know some of you also felt this in a, in a personal way. Uh, you know, the, the, the article wasn't necessarily news to you all. Uh, so please, um, you know, if you would... Give us, uh, you know, just a reaction as to what's happening here with these FY24 budget cuts. I think I can get us started out. This is Michaela. I um, I think it's important to remember that this budget was passed last June. So we're talking about the fiscal year 24 budget um, went through, you know, tons of advocacy, tons of D.C. residents coming out to, to testify Council really uh, debating what goes into the budget, passing the budget, signed by the mayor in June of last year. The budget then starts for the fiscal year 24 in October. So October 1 is the budget year. And um, the the agencies start signing contracts with, uh, with folks like the organizations that we work with and represent in October. And that's what, what tells our organizations how much money they're going to have for the full fiscal year. So all the way through September, the end of September, how much money they're going to have to operate. That tells them how much staff they can um, bring on, how many clients they can serve, um, you know, whether or not they can rent the space that they need and have enough beds and, and all kinds of things. And that all goes into their budgets for the year. And contracts get signed with, with the D.C. government to carry out those services for the year. Um, and so I think that's an important framing for then, you know, in December, having direct service providers get a letter from DHS, an email from DHS, um, the Department for Human Services, and um, uh, some other org uh, agencies as well, issuing this this notice that they were going to have mid-year budget cuts. And so I just wanted to give that framing for where all of the service providers are. Um, to, you know, just a couple months after signing some, some folks just a few days or weeks after signing their agreements for the full year's worth of funding to then get an email that said, you know, plan for cuts this year um, that uh, we're anticipating going into effect here in the spring. That's right. No, thank you for that context. I think it's really important for folks to understand that, yeah, you know, plans were made, plans were laid, and all of a sudden, um, you know, there's a uh, changes to them. Uh, Chibundo or Heidi, any any reaction to, you know, uh, hearing this information? Um, sure. Uh, so just full disclosure, the article that you're referencing, um, myself and a number of others uh, for our groups uh, uh, helped provide some background for that. Um, so this is a, you can see the through line through all this work and how we're all working in conjunction to address these issues. Um, the reaction is just plain and simple. And I think Michaela teed it up. One, it's the shock, right? It's the constant fighting for already limited resources being a major issue. Um, additionally, uh, there was lack of transparency around the process beyond kind of an ominous letter, an email saying, please make these cuts. And for some organizations, whether large or small, that's a difference between staffing, that's a difference between programming. So for some folks, it, it no matter what, it's a hard ask, but for some folks, it's a difference between holding up their organization, right? So um, part of our reaction is like, what does this mean? And specifically, what does it mean for um, marginalized populations that are already struggling? So specifically for our coalition, coalition that includes youth, queer folks, black and brown folks, like you name it, there's a lot of folks that are going to be affected by these cuts, whether it's because they're losing programming, they're losing access to employment, because a lot of, you know, our, our community-based organizations are also great employers of um, the more marginalized folks. So um, it had a ripple effects for us, um, and it required us to kind of rally together, i.e. doing the, the, the piece with the, the Washington City paper, um, also coordinating our specific um, uh, advocacy efforts rather around the performance oversight um, season that is currently happening now in the council and then into the budget cycle that's that's coming up. So for for us, it's been a full 
full court press to use a, a sports analogy. Thank you. Chibundo, any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Um, both what Michaela and Heidi said were excellent. I think the other shock moment for a lot of providers was that DHS is making all these cuts externally. You know, um, we understand they're getting directives down that they have to make some cuts, but for DC to make cuts in human services, that's terrifying, you know, especially, um, and my colleagues here will talk about this more in the future. We have this moment where everyone's talking about crime and we know what the root causes of the crime are. And we know that we are the frontline people, you know, addressing those root causes. So I guess that that was also really, really frightening and really, I don't know, disappointing. Um, and as Heidi was saying, there hasn't been a lot of transparency about whether DHS has been looking internally to see if there are other things that can be shifted around or if this was the first step. But ideally, throughout the rest of this process, we're still really hopeful and optimistic that uh, this, this can be changed, that this is not the end all and be all, that just all human services throughout the city are going to get a 5% cut. Right. Thank you for that. And, and Heidi, you, you mentioned this and the article underscores this. It says in most cases, the cuts will fall on young kids, LGBTQIA people or domestic violence survivors who don't have anywhere else to stay. Um, you know, anything, any follow up thoughts on, on that? Because obviously the cuts are really hurting, you know, folks that are, um, you know, in, in, in real need and historically have, you know, not received um the services that that they need if anything to add to that um i would just keep echoing that i think um and, and forgive me i left out um uh, survivors as well um given who's also on this call um and also the work that we do some of our providers also support um LGBTQ folks that are survivors of intimate partner violence and domestic violence as well so when i say we are all walking in lockstep we are walking in lockstep um, I think for me specifically, Daniel, uh, the other thing that came out of that conversation and it's highlighted in the article was also the timing, right? So Michaela uh, laid it out beautifully about just the overall <laughs> fiscal timing of this, but also literally seasonal, right? This is happening where we're telling folks that we might have to close houses, limit access to programs that take them literally out of the cold, like <laughs> both in experience, but also physically. So there was this looming moment of like, wow, what is the immediate impact of this? Um, so that was also a big part of the stress <laughs> that was put on our providers. Um, so I would just say I, what I've said before is still rings true, but just also recognizing that this is literally a matter of life and death and access to secure housing, secure programming, whatever the case may be. Um, and with a stroke of a pen, that can go away overnight. This is not something that's gonna be implemented a year from now, right? Like we talk about talking about the, the budget and advocacy, like that's a year ahead. This is right now and had it would have immediate effects, specifically because some of the dollars that were earmarked for them for their programs, whether they receive as a grantee or a contractor, we're not able to be paid out already. So on top of the fact that there's a lag in the system right now to be paid, then they have to make these cuts. It's a double whammy in a way that could be crippling for some programs. Thank you. Michaela, I think you had something to add. I yeah, I wanted to to chime in specifically around, around the survivors uh, piece of that. Um, and that is that we know that domestic violence is the number one common experience of, of folks who are entering the homeless system. They're asked every year in the point in time count, you know, why are you uh, housing insecure today? Um, and have you had these experiences in your life that have contributed to this? And domestic violence is is always the number one. Um, and, and that splits across singles, families, um, uh, higher for women, um, and we already have in the domestic violence sphere, four-ish uh, percent of the available housing units. Um, and so, and, and beds, and um, the majority of that is, almost all of that is, is short-term or limited-term housing. And so um, I just wanted to, to point out, as, as Heidi's talking about this through line, that we, we are very well aware that domestic violence survivors are being served throughout the homeless and housing insecure population, throughout all of social welfare programs and service programs, um, and anytime there are cuts anywhere in the system, that's affecting survivors. 
because it's it's not a you know DV survivors are are piped out over here in in the system you know into some specific um, place there there isn't right there's a very small amount of domestic violence specific housing and everyone else is going through the um, the the mainstream system um, and so cuts there are are cuts everywhere. Um, there is one other piece I wanted to to pull out um, into the conversation, and that is about um, uh, Heidi mentioned the lack of transparency. There's there's some um, I, I think I I feel uh, I don't fully understand why we are having mid year cuts um, when six you know six months ago when we were working on the last budget um, there were already projections of how much money was going to come in and what budgetary pressures there were going to be. Um, and so it's confusing to me um, why we are in the situation again this year of having mid-year budget cuts when, um, you know, theoretically, at least all of this should have already been taken into account when the budget was passed. Um, and so I think, again, at least for myself, I've got some confusion around why we're even looking at this scale of cuts um, across human services at this point in the year. Now, Michaela, I know I didn't send you my questions, but you you asked my my next my, that was going to be my next question because um, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something because in the conversations we've all been having in this space, trust you know there are people looking at this, organizations looking at this, individuals looking at this, and trying to make sense of all of this. Like the big question is why, and I'll just you know throw the question out broader that Chibundo. Uh, Heidi, you know, any thoughts on like the why? Because that's what we haven't heard. We've not heard, okay, we are taking this money from here because it's going to go to this great cause or something, right? Uh, go ahead, Heidi. Sorry, I was looking at my colleagues and be like, do you want me to take it? Because they are going to, I'm sure they're going to double back on what I'm saying, but I do want to be transparent as someone that has to have this conversation in a number of different ways. Um, as a, the head of a coalition and working directly with agencies and council and, and, and others in the space. Um, one clear thing, and I, I don't want to be, I, we'd be remiss if we don't mention this, that obviously the forecasts around our tax revenue, um, the forecasts around um, our ability to meet our current budget standards, because we've been in a surplus for many years, um, that is all a factor. And I recognize that, and I think advocates recognize that. Our point is, okay, we now see this fiscal cliff, for lack of a better word, approaching, but why is it even when we had a surplus and now with this predicament, it's always social services that are the first to be cut. And there has not been any adjustment, whether it be through the influx of dollars that came through the American Rescue Plan that helped uphold a lot of these programs or just with the forecast of our tax revenue, right? There has not been an analysis that shows any moral compass around how to, to approach the budget given these factors. So we can all understand the bottom line part of the argument, but what is the mayor's office and frankly, some of the council, what are they doing to adjust? Because it can't just be, we need to make cuts, we need to make cuts. We have to make cuts every year. But I think the why is still not answered on why is this the first place? I think we understand the crux, but we're not understanding the implementation um, especially when we are facing the crises we're facing in D.C., specifically around housing, and as Michaela said it so eloquently, and how housing is tied to everything else that we're fighting for. So to us as advocates, we're like, why are we thinking more deeply about this than the government is not? So um, that's my two cents, but I would love to hear my colleagues. I mean, you, you took the words right out of my mind, so that's perfect. Um, Michaela actually always says that like uh, human services is safety. So we're having all these conversations around safety in this space and yet cutting human services. So no, I have nothing to add. I am just going to also add my confusion as to why was this where you would start, um, especially when there's so many other bills doing some really interesting things right now in our city that will also be added budgetary costs. You know, um, we haven't really talked about how these other bills that are not quite looking at the uh, root causes of violence and the root causes of how to like actually cause safety in DC, how much they're gonna cost, but at the same time, still cutting the things that we know will give uh, people the security that they require to maybe not consider um, some of the unfortunate, socially unfortunate things that are happening right now. Um, but yeah, 
not going to add anymore. I love what my colleagues have said and 100% back that. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, I mean, I think, yeah, that is, we are all just asking that question. Why? And it's unfortunate because it does give us some indicator um, as to what to expect for this coming year. And that's where I'd like to uh, shift the conversation. Uh, we've seen, you know, the mayor already try to cut, um, as Michaela mentioned at the top, you know, these were plans for last year. The budget that we are have currently is the budget that we worked on last year. Um, and so there were already some indicators that, uh, you know, some of the, the programs of services that we all, um, you know, work uh, to ensure are around for the people that need them, uh, we're going to receive cuts. Before we move to that, I do need to remind folks that we are in our winter pledge drive. I've got a goal of $500 left to go. WPFW is, you know, the people's platform. You don't hear this level of discussion, this level of detail from the people who are putting their shoulders to the proverbial wheel, if that's even the saying, the people that are doing the work, you know, um, don't often get these type of platforms. So we need to ensure that this station, and if I'm so bold as to say this uh, program, Taking Action, is still around to, uh, first of all, to educate folks and inform folks on what's happening in the city, but then to give folks opportunities to take action. We're not just having a conversation here. At the end of this, we are going to talk about, you know, how people can get involved in ensuring that some of these critical cuts aren't made um, and that D.C. residents are protected. If you find value in this programming, if you listen to us every Tuesday, if you check in on us every once in a while, if you love WPFW, that's the bigger goal, really, is to make sure that this wonderful station is still around to be able to provide this type of programming. We are calling on you for help. We need to raise $500. The number to call is 202-588-9739. If you're outside of the area, 800 222 9739 or you can always go online to wpfwfm.org to make your online donation consider becoming a sustainer where you could um, you know say i want to donate ten dollars a month and we'll get credit you know we'll get a hundred twenty dollar credit for you know the 12 months that you commit to um to making donations but as i mentioned any amount really does help us. It helps us to move uh, the, the meter here and make sure that we are um, providing the programming that, you know, many of us feel are really important for district residents. And, you know, we also provide a lot of that culture, that good music that you come to know here at WPFW. So a multitude of reasons to, um, to make sure that we are still around for, you know, another 40 years and another 40 years after that. 202-588-9739 is the number to call. 800-222-9739 if you're outside of the area. Or wpfwfm.org to make your secure online donation. We thank you in advance and hopefully we'll get to thank a couple of people before we're out of here. So thank you so much. Um, as I mentioned, um, we had already seen some indicators. Um, we had heard the mayor talking about we have to get back to pre-COVID budgeting. We saw an attempted slash of ERAP funds, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program. The mayor wanted to fund it at something like $8 million for this current year. Fortunately, the uh, city council was able to push back from you know pushing from advocates and, and and dc residents telling them that that's not right you know it was funded at um its normal level or the level we come to expect around 43 million um and then and, and still the mayor wanted to raid that and, and and give it to other programs during the year we also saw the mayor um uh, at least at some point maybe refuse is a strong word but she did not want to fund these the increases to snap there had to be some um, some legal positioning happening, a lot of uh, direct action happening to say, no, this is actually written into the law. Like, this has to happen. Like, we've agreed that this will happen. You are trying to not make it happen. Um, so, you know, um, <clears throat> that does not 
spell out anything good for us for the future. Um, we are bracing for uh, a lot of cuts, as we know, and many of us like to say, you know, the, the budgets are reflective of the values of a city, right? And the people that work and, and make the city. Um, what we're seeing is potentially a change in these values. And as Heidi <clears throat> had mentioned, you know, there are some budget pressures. Any of us that, you know, try to keep it together and keep our budgets together, we know there's just things we got to pay and there's, there's, there's um, pressures. However, we need to ensure that people um, also have a decent quality of life here, at least a decent quality of life, right? If not better. Um, so, you know, if, if you would, I don't know, you know, if, if we all want to maybe just talk about some of these indicators that we've heard about and really what does that spell out for the, uh, you know, the coming fiscal year. Yeah, so I, I mean, we're hearing about more budget pressures, right? There are um, uh, uh, contracts that have to be uh, renegotiated uh, for our teachers and and other uh, public sector workers. Want to make sure they're making uh, good wages, right? And they're being taken care of. Um, the the budget shortfall for Wamada has been all over the the news um, in the in the tri-state, right? Um, and the cost of everything has gone up. So there are we understand that there are budget pressures coming this year. Um, I will note that the uh, renewal of the contracts for a number of the bargaining units also were pressure last year um, because it took a while for the the district to reach agreements. And so just noting that we've got a back to back pressure on the budget that would normally not happen. Um, until a few years later in between those, um, if everybody's reaching an agreement um, in, in the time that they're expected to. Um, so fully understand that there are budget pressures along with all the pressures that are hitting our wallets at home, right? With the um, inflation, which I know is cooling, but it still, it still hurts at the grocery store, right? Um, uh, and, and other costs that are going up and then all that, you know, factors into all the budgets. Um, so, we understand there are going to be budget pressures. Um, I will say that um, one of the biggest concerns that I have with those budget pressures is something that happens really frequently. I don't know that this is unique to DC, but um, when those types of budget pressures come, um, we often see a cut as we're as we're anticipating here to human services to prevention efforts. Um, and that's prevention broad scale for for uh, negative health outcomes, for um, education, uh, for uh, uh, violence and, and community safety. Um, and, and what we tend to see is we tend to see budgets for the, the end of the line staying the same. So MPD, the law enforcement, uh, child welfare, um, uh, other uh, the court systems, right? We see some things staying the same um, in terms of budget, and then we see the the preventative um, issues around making sure that kids have uh, food that they need and access to um, high quality childcare and um, and prevention for for domestic violence, for example, and prevention for uh, for uh, the spread of disease, like lots of things. Um, we see those things be um, essentially deemed less essential. Um, and, and when you look at that long term or we look at that year after year, there's going to continue to be a pressure um, on law enforcement, on our court system, on the, the prison complex, right? Um, because we're, we're continuing to cut everything upstream um, and, and ending up with those larger problems on the, on the back end. I, uh, I'll jump in there and just echo what Michaela said. I think definitely um, understanding the cuts are coming definitely upstream and what does that mean um, and why is that the go-to approach? Um, I would also argue specifically speaking from my role with the coalition that um, the current structure already puts so much pressure on community-based organizations to supplement the services that the government needs, right? To meet the needs of the community. So we, our members are actors for the government. So they're essentially put in a place to have to 
step up where there is gaps in governmental services that the government can't provide, in addition to having to do that with less and less each year. And then on top of that, they then now have to internally make drastic cuts in their systems that are already um, exacerbated, right? So I would just say, I'm speaking, I think we can talk about the budget forecast, but also just the day-to-day reality of when we talk about the why and Michaela's great approach to their approach, um, we also have to talk about what's currently happening and how this is a failure in a system that is not really set up for its stressors right now. So when we're talking about indicators in the budget, we also have to have, talk about indicators of population and what we know to be true. Um, and the current way is not working. So if we continue to make cuts, we don't think about it with the preventative lens that Michaela laid out. We're gonna continue to be in this cycle. Um, and there's there's no end in sight, right? And, and we're not doing anything um, to really address that definitely through the budget, but even somewhat policy-wise as well. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll just add that um, I think as both my colleagues have already mentioned, a lot of the cuts that are coming are due to pressures that were foreseeable. So this was, you know, a little worrying to be like, okay, so you knew cuts were coming and this is the plan all along that, you know, once the, the COVID flush goes down, it was always the plan to cut human services. Um, and we understand, of course, you know, not even spilt milk. <laughs> so looking towards the future, um, we understand there are reassessments that need to be made, but we expect and would hope that the district would prioritize the basic needs of Washingtonians. Um, the district is facing financial pressures, and so are every single DC resident right now. Um, as Michaela said, the grocery store is a, is a nightmare, jump scares constantly, those prices, it's absurd. Um, and we want to see a DC that cares about Washingtonians, cares about their struggles, and supports and reaffirms that through the budget, that we care about you. There are reassessments that need to be made right now. Belt tightening is happening. And again, due to the lack of transparency, not any belt tightening that I see as unforeseeable, but you know, spilt milk, let's, let's move on. Um, but we, we would hope that the, the budget would reflect that the district believes that the DC residents are the number one priority for whatever budget we have for the future. Thank you. And Chibunda, just to follow up, I know we've been having some discussions in, in some spaces around, you know, like, uh, as you mentioned, like, who gets prioritized here, right? Who gets help? Who gets to stay in the city, right? I think you said that very clearly in a meeting we just recently had. Like, these are, the, this is what I, I, I allude to in, like, this potential change in values that we're seeing in the city, where, these, you know, huge sport organizations with millions and billions of dollars, you know, the mayor wants to throw more money at them. Like, please stay, you know, please, please stay and we'll subsidize your stay. Meanwhile, there are families who are in the shelters, are in, you know, the, the, the systems for support that are just barely holding on, barely holding on and barely staying in, in this great city. I don't know if, if you, any of you have any thoughts on that. But, um, you know, please feel free. Yeah, and I think uh, with you mentioning the the stadium um, and the sports teams, we just saw a protest this weekend on Sunday um, of elders in Chinatown protesting that they are being pushed out of Chinatown. You know, um, we as D.C. are always constantly like proud of what it means to be like in D.C., the culture, the, you know, the diversity and everything. And as you're saying, this does reflect, or at least we are interpreting this as a change in values of what actually matters to DC. Maybe certain financial interests that are not going to affect the actual residents here are now the interests of the district and district government. Um, if that's not true, we would love to see that reflected in a budget. <laughs> but at the moment right now, that it feels like that's true. And um, we would just hope that the mayor district leadership would see that the bread and butter of the city are its people, the people who create the culture, the people who create the city that people will want to visit, that people will want to work in, the downtown that is dying. Um, you know, we need people <laughs> to make the culture that people come to, not just businesses to create more, you know, high rises or what have you. But thank you for bringing that up, Daniel. And, and just to add, you know, that what I've heard around certain programs like the ERAP program, once again, the Emergency Rental Assistance Program, which is really, it benefits, to be honest, landlords the most, because landlords ultimately receive the money, right? It does benefit residents, of course, who are at at the risk of being evicted, a, a very necessary 
uh, program. Let's not kid ourselves that the ones benefiting the most aren't the landlords, though, right? Even with that, we see a mayor who we've heard through some pretty, you know, reputable sources. The mayor is saying things like, well, the ERAT program, you know, people are, are finding ways to gain that 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 program. They won't pay their rent because they know that ERAP will pay it at the end of the year or like when when it's time to apply. Meanwhile, we see a program that, you know, every time it opens its portal, and that works a little differently, it's it opened the, the portal to apply for ERAP opens on a quarterly basis. As soon as it opens, it closes like within a day, hours, a day or two. Um, so it's not like everyone in the city you know, has access. So, but it's to me, what I question is even saying things like that is telling uh, of what's going to happen. Um, so, you know, I think we, we all need to be very wary that, you know, as much as, you know, some some of the gains we've made and the values that we've tried to, to push and, and, and change on the city seem to be swinging back. Um, I don't know, Michaela, Heidi, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's a, a an interesting um, point to raise. And um, and I wanted to tie this back to another comment uh, that was made earlier about the COVID funding. Um, we also heard predominantly in last year's budget, but I, I'm anticipating again in this year's budget that now that we are, quote unquote, past COVID, um, that we need to go back to the before times. Um, and in the service providing fields, we have not seen any return to the before times numbers. Um, and I know that any one of us would tell you that uh, social services, human services were grossly under-resourced before, in the before times. Um, and the um, increased funding um, that was um, applied in, in some cases during COVID did not meet the additional rise in demand. Um, but speaking to specifically in the domestic violence field, we are not seeing numbers of survivors decreasing, um, number of folks seeking services decreasing and now that we are, quote unquote, past COVID. And so rhetoric around going back to the before times and, quote unquote, right sizing the budget and um, getting us back to, you know, uh, pre-COVID um, levels is just not... Um, not really encompassing the reality that we are seeing as service providers on the ground, on the front lines of of the level of need in the city, the the level of um, of service provision needed. Um, and we know that research, you know, takes a little bit of time to get to come along. Um, we look at something like intimate partner violence, gender based violence, Anytime there's a natural disaster, we see the rates of gender-based violence increase dramatically. And um, uh, the preliminary research we've seen shows that that happened with COVID as well, just like what happened after a, after a hurricane, right? Um, and the numbers just aren't going down. Um, going with domestic violence, of course, you've got um, the, the domestic violence is the number one leading cause of maternal mortality. And that's, you know, three times higher for black women than it is uh, for white women. And um, we see it as a leading cause of homelessness. And um, we see domestic violence being linked with uh, firearm related violence. And um, so we see all of these things being compounded by rising rates of domestic violence. And yet um, not a, an acknowledgement in the budget, um, at least around um, a commensurate level of increased funding so that we can address the domestic violence, the, the victims and survivors that we already have, but also the fact that the numbers aren't falling. And that means that we need prevention. And DC does not spend local dollars on prevention for domestic violence at all, even with all of the other discussions about needing to address maternal mortality rates and needing to address community violence and needing to address uh, truancy rates and other things that are all linked to, to domestic violence. Um, we're seeing a, a lack of of investment there, um, and so I know I took your your question in a couple of different uh, ways, but the the rhetoric um, uh, that uh, is is a little bit um, uh, there's a gap there between what we're seeing as service providers on the front lines and the short and long term impacts of that. 
um, that are just not reflected in, in the rhetoric that you were asking about. That's right. And if I may, you know, uh, just it's at, it's as if we've not learned the lessons put into laser focus by the pandemic, right? Like, I think if anything, we learned how hard it is for folks who have are already experiencing serious issues, how worse COVID made it, right? So we've not, it appears that many of us um, have not learned that lesson and uh you know are, are are wanting to build from that and say there needs to be a different way because we know the level i i don't think this is you know doing too much it's the the suffering that people are experiencing out there because people are suffering and heidi i'm sorry i just have to remind folks real quick that we still have not gotten a donation and we hope to um we hope to meet our goal as always we hope to get a lot closer than than where we are right now We've got a goal of $500 to raise. We've got 20 minutes to do it in. So please, if you can, we are asking for donations of any size, 202-588-9739. 800-222-9739 is the number to call if you're out of the area. Or you can always go online to wpfwfm.org to make your secure online donation. We really, really do need your help. We want to make sure that we can continue to have these conversations, these very timely conversations, folks. We are in the oversight season, which we're about. I'm about to ask about. We are quick. We're always in the budget season, uh, but we are about to be in the thick of it. Uh, you know, in just about a, a month, as the budget hearings start to happen at the city council, uh, advocacy ramps up. All of that ramps up, and we want to make sure to let you know how to get involved in all of that. But these are this is the type of information we know brings value to this station and to this city. If your values align with that, we are really hoping that you are able to take action and make a donation, as I mentioned, of any amount. 202-588-9739, 800-222-9739 if you're out of the area. Or you can always go online to WPFWFM. Dot org. We hope that we will get some help. As I mentioned, $500 left to raise. We've not gotten one donation. So hopefully somebody will get us started and we'll see uh, that 500 whittle away. Okay, thank you so much. 202-588-9739, um, 800-222-9739 if you're out, the, out of the area or wpfwfm.org. And I'm sorry, Heidi, go right ahead. I know you had a point to make. No, I'll just underscore what Ma Michaela said. And um, in, in terms of not only the rhetoric being inaccurate about the before times um, in terms of COVID and understanding that, and even some of these numbers are immeasurable because to Michaela's point, data is a delayed process, right? So we don't even know the full picture, but we know what we're seeing on the ground. I would also argue that um, the before times cannot be the current times because so much has happened since then. And one example includes just even the influx of migrants that have been, you know, brought to our, our city due to political theater, right? And with strain that that's put on services. Um, as part of our coalition, we've um, advocated for additional services around language access specifically to make sure that even the current programs are more adequate to serve the needs of um, folks that are brought here. And then additionally, what other uh, services are needed um, to for safety in terms of um, folks that experience violence, um, housing, whether it be transitional or permanent. Um, so our, our makeup as a city is changing. Not only is it, a, yes, we are quote unquote post pandemic, but our, our populations are changing. So the, the previous funding levels didn't work for our current scenario. They're definitely not going to work for where we are now. Um, and I just think if we, I, I really appreciate what Michaela said about the rhetoric around this because it's not accurate um, to what we know. Right. That's right. No, thank you so much. As I mentioned there for my, during my pitch where I was encouraging folks to make a donation and I still hope folks will make a donation was, you know, we, we are finding ourselves um, in the oversight season. So um, just like this is a super brief um, overview of, of the, 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 the times we find ourselves in um, or the city kind of calendar, right? Uh, oversight season is, is happening. This is where 
District residents can come and testify about the performance of DC agencies, any DC agency. Um, we're, we're able to testify, so I think those are good. Uh, and then quickly, we'll find ourselves in the budget season. So up to now, you know, the agency heads have been um, kind of putting together their budgets, uh, submitting that to the mayor. The mayor then will put her budget together or their budget together and um, present that shortly. I think over the next couple of weeks, we'll see the mayor release uh, her her budget which then will be a good indicator of where we're moving. Um, there is plenty of opportunity through the city council process and just the advocacy process to try to change that budget. Um, but I just wanted to uh, ask uh, you all as folks who engage in this work often, uh, you know, how can folks get involved? What would you encourage folks to get involved and why should they get involved? Thank you for the question, uh, Daniel. Um, folks, so I can say that I, I worked elsewhere in policy before coming to DC, and um, I think that it is a, a, a really phenomenal part of, of DC culture, how involved uh, the people of DC get in um, informing the government process um, through these oversight hearings. There are hearings on bills and especially during oversight and budget season where there are hundreds of people registered to testify. And I think that is incredible, a real testament to how open and accessible government can be. Um, and I say all of that to, to say that there's a lot of opportunity for folks to, to have their voices heard. Um, and it makes a difference. We do hear from council members like this is what we're hearing from our constituents. This is what we're hearing when people are coming to talk to us. Um, and um, so everyone listening should know that your voice really does matter um, and, and makes a, a tangible difference. Um, the um, In addition to being able to testify live at the Wilson Building in person, um, you can also testify um, in any of these hearings remotely. Um, so from the comfort of your home or uh, wherever you might be located, um, through a uh, remote, like you can do it on your phone. You can uh, go from your laptop or computer um, and you can submit written testimony. Um, there's even a new um, uh, platform available online where you can actually just type right in. If you don't even have to like write up a big, big thing and put it on letterhead, like you can just type in whatever, however many sentences you've got about whatever the issue is to get your voice heard. Um, so real accessibility there. Um, in terms of getting involved um, with with messaging um, and uh, getting connected with uh, folks who are advocating in the space, I can say that our organization, the DC Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, we have a, um, a, a email list that you can get on and we send out action items, action alert items on there, um, as well as updates about the things we're working on throughout the year. Um, that's a that's an easy way to get involved. And we're yeah, we're big on making sure that we've got lots of different types of things that folks can do from the, you know, retweet this, right? So the the two seconds to get involved and to share your voice options all the way up to like write your own whole letter or show up at a rally level of engagement. So you can get um, onto our email list by going to our website, which is our the initials of our name, dccadv.org. Um, and you'll see buttons there that say um, uh, that you can get signed up for our listserv. Um, I'm sure Heidi will also have some folks uh, to follow. Some other big folks um, in the area that are advocating would include the Fair Budget Coalition. Um, that is uh, also um, doing a lot of advocacy in this space and around uh, human services um, and listening to uh, the folks of D.C. and um, uh, what it is that that folks would like the budget to reflect. Um, there's a victim assistance network that's got some requests out there. Um, and uh, Heidi, I'm sure you've got some folks that people can follow and get uh, and advocate with. Go ahead. Sorry, the mute button escaped me. Um, I agree with everything that Michaela said. Yes, um, obviously having your voice heard via testimony, whether it be spoken or written, um, and it is very accessible. You can literally call in, like Michaela said. So. I would say go to DC Council um, and look at the upcoming hearings. If there's a topic and issue that you're passionate about, please sign up. 
Um, additionally, our coalitions all do our own form of um, community engagement, advocacy work. Um, we do uh, forums, we do community events. Uh, additionally, we also do advocacy days where we actually go to the Wilson building and bring our menu of things that we want to advocate for. Um, obviously these DHS cuts are gonna be top of line. Uh, the DC LGBTQ Budget Coalition, we are hosting a advocacy day next Wednesday at the Wilson building on the 21st. Um, I'm sorry, I keep saying Wednesday, that's Tuesday, apologies. Uh, the 21st um, of February, uh, where we're gonna pull together a number of other coalition members and coalition partners, including the Youth Economic Justice and Housing Coalition that is run by DC Action. So in terms of who to follow, um, we're on Twitter. Um, I would follow us at, at LGBTQ Budget. Um, that's where a lot of our updates are. You can also access our website there. If you're interested in joining um, our ranks or uh, to, to Michaela's point, being part of our listserv, please follow us there and, and look at some of the things we're working on. We tend to put any events that are happening up on that, on that platform. Um, DC Action, definitely follow them. Uh, Fair Budget Coalition, we also work closely with them. So we work in lockstep with another, a, a number of other coalitions that are doing this work um, to best, you know, raise our voices and, and be successful in our advocacy. So I say, get involved, have your voice heard, join an organization, even if you don't have the capacity to do the day-to-day -day work that we're all doing, um, the more the merrier, um, especially when we pull together um, opportunities to be seen and heard. Uh, show up, show out, um, and also join us for some of the things that we do to build up our stamina to do this work. So definitely some of the social engagements are important because um, this is hard work. Uh, so I encourage you all to to look out for us. Thank you so much, Heidi. Chibundo, any last words on, you know, why folks should get involved and the importance of getting involved? Well, yeah, I mean, this is our life. This is our city. <laughs> if you want to have kids here or have relationships here, live here for any time in the future, uh, this is important to do something about this now. Um, I think this encroaching lack of concern for the most marginalized in our, in our society, of course, but specifically in this district, um, it's, it's going to hit you, whoever you are listening eventually, right? Um, so please, please get involved. And I would say, in addition to what my colleagues have said about how to get involved, please reach out to us if you're confused or um, unsure about how to make a testimony about if you want to do an action of some sort and you don't know if the impact is, you know, on message or anything like that. We are around. <laughs> this is our jobs. Um, we would be more than excited. We would be ecstatic to talk to you talk you through whatever you're planning and whatever you're thinking, especially if you want to get other people involved. Maybe if you have people in your community who are all being affected by something, uh, maybe an issue with ERAP, an issue with housing or something like that, and you want to get them all together to do some kind of testimony thing, we could figure it out. Can we do like a, maybe a mini training for y'all? Can we, yeah, we're going to be very agile during this moment to make sure that the people of DC are actually served by the government of DC. So we're on your side reach out. Thank you. <laughs> well, I want to thank you all for taking the time this afternoon to, uh, you know, inform us on what's happening, uh, give us some very tangible next steps on how to get involved. As we were talking, and I don't know, maybe I'm too old school, but I keep thinking of the song For What It's Worth by Buffalo Springfield, uh, where one of the lines, and I hate kind of war illusions, but it says, you know, battle, draw, battle lines are being drawn. And that's kind of what we're seeing, right? We're seeing this un fortunate shift in values where people, the people that make the city are not being prioritized over these big, huge conglomerate companies. Um, that's just my editorial on this. This is, I'm not speaking for uh, the, the folks that were here, but uh, you know, we're seeing the writing on the walls, however it is. So let's get prepared. Let's get organized. And thank you all for the work that you're doing. Um, let's make sure to, to come back and talk about the budget when we're actually like kind of in there. Uh, so, you know, putting the invitation out there again and just thank you so much. I want to remind folks that we have not gotten a donation. So if you can, this is a last minute um, ask, please 202-588-9739 WPFWFM.org to make a donation. We can certainly use the help. Stay tuned. You've got the news in just a couple of seconds and then you've got COVID race and democracy right after. Thank you, everyone. Peace. We'll catch you next Tuesday.
big announcement. Home Rule Music Festival in partnership with WPFW presents an electrifying evening of music, culture, and community. Join us on Friday, February 23rd at Songbird Music House for the Home Rule Music Festival launch party and concert. Doors open at 7 p.m. Event starts at 8 p.m. Songbird is located at 540 Penn Street, Northeast, Washington, D.C. Special performances by the legendary Plunky from Oneness of Juju and the dynamic Brandon Woody's Up Indu. Plus, don't miss the exclusive screening of the captivating Black Fire documentary. Tickets are available at songbirddc.com. That's S-O-N-G-B-Y-R-D-D-C.com. Good afternoon. For WPFW Washington and WBAI New York, I'm Darnia Samuels. Here are some headlines for this hour. Since 2021, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has said that people should isolate for at least five days if they test positive for COVID-19 and then continue to wear a mask. However, the CDC is expected to change this guideline in the spring to say that people no longer need to isolate themselves once they have been fever-free for 24 hours and their symptoms are mild or improving. This upcoming change in isolation guidance, which was discussed last week during a briefing with state health officials, follows the pattern of states like California and Oregon, who have already broken away from the CDC's recommendations, promoting that people who test positive for COVID are no longer expected to isolate for a set period of time and that those without symptoms do not have to isolate at all. Some infectious disease experts claim that relaxing these isolation timeframes makes sense because many Americans already don't isolate themselves much or at all when sick. Despite the upcoming relaxation of these guidelines, however, tens of thousands of people are still hospitalized with COVID-19 and hundreds of people die from the virus each week. Earlier today, the Senate passed a $95.3 billion foreign aid bill to assist some countries in need. This foreign aid package includes billions of dollars to support Ukraine and for security assistance for Israel, as well as humanitarian assistance for civilians in Gaza, the West Bank, and Ukraine, among other priorities. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said, and I quote, It's certainly been years, perhaps decades, since the Senate has passed a bill that so greatly impacts not just our national security, not just the security of our allies, but the security of Western democracy, end quote. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky welcomed the news of this foreign aid bill, thanking Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, and every U.S. senator who has supported continued assistance to Ukraine as they, quote, fight for freedom, democracy, and the values they all hold dear, end quote. To your local news, in New York City, today, the entire school system was to be on remote learning because of the winter weather. However, things didn't start off so well for the nation's largest school district. This morning, when many teachers, parents, and students tried to log on, they were locked out of their classrooms. And instead of joining their video meetings, they received an error message that said, the service that you are trying to reach is temporarily unavailable. Several parents expressed frustration, with one calling it a, quote, total disaster, while another one said, I know this is a huge undertaking, but the preparedness just seems lacking. Mayor Eric Adams said that today's disarray would serve as a, quote, teaching moment for the city, acknowledging that remote learning is going to be with us for a while. Despite the trouble earlier, the school's chancellor, David C. Banks, said that by noon today, about 850,000 students and teachers have been able to log on. But just a note, the New York City school system has 915,000 students and 75,000 educators. To the D.C. area, it's been a hot topic over the last few months about the Washington Wizards and Capitals' potential move out of D.C. and into Virginia as initiated by both teams' owner, Ted Leonsis. However, Virginia Senator L. Louise Lucas said this week that the proposed Virginia Senate bill that is meant to fund a potential new arena in Alexandria, Virginia, to house both teams will not be approved, at least not as currently constructed. 
Senator Lucas has issues with the bill because of how it would be funded, which would fall on the shoulders of taxpayers if enough revenue isn't generated as expected.